Welcome to the Life Over Coffee podcast, conversations for transformation. Hello, everyone. This is Rick Thomas with Life Over Coffee. Thank you so much for joining me. I have a special guest that I want to introduce to you. Uh, her name is Sophie uh, Ottaway. Uh, but when I say her name, this is a bit confusing to me as well. I read her story. In fact, she wrote her story or part of her story on the Daily Wire. Now, that article that she wrote is behind the paywall, uh, but I did read it. And I'm going to put some links in the show notes here because I want you to know her. And there are several YouTube videos that uh, in, in addition to what we are about to do right now, to where you can learn about Sophie, you can learn about her story, and I'm, I want her to tell it. That's why I'm not saying so much at this point, but just let me give you the the, the most succinct way. Sophie uh, was born a boy, and at two, two, two days old, uh, there was a, a physical abnormality that she will talk about. And she was engineered to be a, a girl. And so now she's 37, I think, years old. She found out later in life that she's actually a boy. And so this is the confusion that we're having here. And so I'm navigating through this. We didn't do a lot of talking beforehand. I told her I didn't want to because I really want to work this out in front of you. I think it would be quite interesting because we live in a crazy culture, as you all know. And so uh, we have a situation here and I am I, I sent her an email I said hey I want to talk to you and uh, she graciously responded and so here we are and so uh, Sophie uh, welcome uh, to life over coffee let's start there ah thanks Rick thanks for having me on it's, it's a pleasure to be here now, as you all notice, that one of us talks funny. One of us, one of us has an accent, and it's not me. Uh, uh, as you can imagine, Sophie is from um, the UK, and um, I'm from the southern part of the United States. And so, English, Sophie, English is my second language. Uh, redneck is my my uh, uh, primary language, and so there's going to be some communication issues because your English is actually proper. Uh, mine is well, I don't not, know. <laughs> but we'll, we'll navigate. I think I'm a British redneck, Rick. <laughs> a Brit redneck. Okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, 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 I'm kind of speechless. That's unusual. All right. So Sophie, all right. So first of all, I don't know where to go here. I don't know what's proper. And so I'm just going to ask questions. And if you don't want to answer the questions, just say, you know, I'd rather not to answer because I'm flying blind in your situation because uh, I, I didn't think there was even a category for you uh, until I read your article. And it's like, oh, this is a little bit of a different category because this is not something that you volunteered for. This was something that was fostered upon you as a two-year-old and a, a two-day-old. And as I was reading your article, I mean, honestly, uh, I teared up uh, as I was reading your article because I saw you uh, in the uh, ICU looking kind of toward the camera, a little baby. And again, you can see this uh, if you have access to the Daily Wire article uh, that, that Sophie wrote. Uh, but I was looking at you as this, this infant with the bandages and so forth. And uh, 
in, in the little incubator kind of thing, whatever it is. And uh, I just teared up because of your vulnerability, uh, your total dependency uh, on others uh, to make decisions about your young life. And there were decisions made. And as you're going to uh, share here in a moment, uh, you realize many years later what had actually happened. And so, all right, so the first question I have for you, and again, please, I'm flying blind here. So just say, uh, you know, I'd rather not answer that because um, there's such sensitivities around this subject. Uh, but you go by Sophie Ottaway. You look like a girl. Are you a boy or a girl? I think that's a really good question. I think I'm actually going to say, uh, for the for the sake of my sort of political stance on all of this, I'm going to say that I'm actually I am a boy. You can't you can't we can't argue with the fact that I am a boy. So when they dig up my dead body from you know in, hopefully in many 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 years time, but someone digs up the body. Um, it's an XY chromosome and when all the flesh is gone and when all of the exterior is gone and my soul's gone wherever my soul goes, um, fundamentally that 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 I can't argue with fact I am I am a male. Um and I guess there's lots more questions to fall off that, but I'll end I'll end that there. And also do worry about your line of questioning, Rick. Like I'm at a point with this where I'll I'll talk about anything, you know, like I I just want the world to sort of know me and my story. So I, any question is good. Well, I appreciate that. And uh, I am the same way. Uh, I tell people that, you know, as I, I said to you before we start, I'm an old man. So I, I, I have an element of I don't care anymore. I mean, I care appropriately. I care about discretion and moderation and not just being a fool. Uh, but as far as being transparent, uh, yes, I, I, I want to be an open book and I appreciate that about you. But see, your answer to that question is what puts you in a category and as, as in a unique category. And, and maybe the word is unique as in there's nobody else in it. But I would imagine there's there are others, uh, but that would be important for them to hear your story because it's like there could be people in your situation where it's like, no, I, I, I'm a, I'm a boy, I, I, I'm a male, and this is what happened to me. I appreciate you not negating the reality of the matter, and as you say, from an uh, anthropological or um, uh, anthro anthropological perspective, uh, when they dig up your bones, um, yeah, you're you're going to be a girl, and they probably will not know all this other stuff, this biographical sketch. And so I appreciate your honesty with saying that. But now, so that leads to the, the next question. I think I could probably answer it, but I want to hear you uh, say it uh, or, or to answer it in your own way. Uh, but you go by Sophie Ottaway and you you manifest as a girl. And you I said 37. Is that correct? That's right. I'm 37, Rick. And when I found out that I was actually born a boy, I was 22. So I've had the knowledge around about 15 years now. Yeah. And so why do you go on as Sophie Ottaway and why do you present yourself as a, a girl? And please, uh, I'm, I'm going to say this for the last time. I'm a bit uncomfortable because I'm not trying to I, I'm not trying to hurt. Great question. Okay. All right. I'd be upset if you didn't ask the question, Rick. If you didn't ask that question on this podcast, I'd be upset because I think that's um, you know it, that's that's why we're here to try and unpick okay. the. Uh, all right, I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop apologizing. And uh, so, why do you present yourself as a girl when factually, biologically, ontologically, uh, you are a boy? 
So I guess, you know, when you find that information out at 22, having lived, you know, I have been programmed to believe that you are something that you're not. Uh, and your whole world knows you as Sophie and your whole world knows you as this 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 body, albeit quite a bit fatter at the time. But um, it, it knew me as me. You're faced with a you're faced with an impossible situation whereby and obviously I've weighed up all of the thoughts. You know, I, I know that I'm male. Uh, I know um, chromosomically, I also know that my attractions are towards females. Do you know, I, I, I know that. Um, and all, all this is, is an outer shell. Um, as we say, the chromosomes will always be the same. The heart and the head, that will always be the same. And I didn't have any choice in the presentation. But to get that far in your life and you have to start to make those decisions, I thought, well, what would going back to male, I say back to because I'd never actually lived as someone with a consciousness as male, you know, from the moment I knew of the world, everything about my world was your female. Um, so it was learning something new, but it made sense and it clicked. But to go back, um, the systems that I disagree disagree with is probably the wrong word, but the systems that I think abused me um, and, and, and and the the kind of the, the, the hormones that yeah, they the, the pump into you and the surgeries that they do, I've obviously been a customer of those surgeries, an, an unwilling customer, but I was a customer of those services for many years. And if you go to, let's say you go to your local restaurant and, and you, you buy a meal, um, you know, if you don't like that meal, you're not going to go to that restaurant again. You're probably going to rethink your options. And for me, I could never be wholly I could never be wholly physically male because the testes were taken off and your body sadly can't regrow testes. Um, and the split penis, again, that was taken off and gone. You, you can't get that back. So what we're looking at here is, well, I could pump some hormones into me. I could pump some testosterone into me, but they're synthetic. That's a big pharma product. Um, I've got no trust in, in, in big pharma at all. And the idea of pumping something quite dangerous into my body when I know that the estrogen that I had for many years caused me so many problems. I was very reluctant to go and take the opposite version of that, which is still synthetic. So I was against the idea of the surgeries and against the idea of the synthetic hormone. And obviously my body in the absence of testes can't create its own hormone to, to make me physically male. Although what I can say is since I've stopped taking the estrogen three or four years ago, I do feel as though my female features have I've almost gone slightly more androgynous. You know, I, I've noticed a, a change in just not taking the estrogen. But for me, um, it's kind of the, the, the conundrum that you can never be wholly male, you can never be wholly female. So who are you? And I've kind of gone on that route of exploring who is Sophie, who is this person? And I've just decided thereby that I don't really want to change the outer skin. And that's not because I want to deceive anyone. I don't, I don't want to deceive anyone at all I, I just want to be me with the least possible interaction with the health um service and big pharma as humanly possible um and to just be authentically me as a person and I think that this is the best way or the only way that I can actually achieve that yeah I I agree with you and I I, I just did not think that I would ever have this position because I've never considered this position, but I've spent a lot of time over the past week thinking about you. Uh, excuse me. But, Life's good now, mate. Life is good. Life is very no, I, 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 I know that, but you're a different category. And as I've 
I, I've I've talked about you. I said you, you this is this is odd, as I would tell my wife, for example. Uh, but I agree with the position that you're taking because you were engineered to be something that you're not. And I think that one of the reasons that it's so easy to agree with you is because you're being honest. I mean, you are being honest, and that is the difference that separates you. People who are pretending to be something and they're forcing that label that, I mean, even is punitive and is becoming more punitive as they're legislating this this uh, uh, concept, this ideology. Uh, but it's your honesty that makes you so agreeable. And so I, if you were my daughter, if you were my child, uh, and if that happened, I would not want you to be re-engineered. And especially when you, and you talked about it in the article, you said it here, uh, your mistrust and distrust of um, Big Pharma for obvious reasons, but you have experienced it in a way that none of us can even imagine unless they have been transitioned like you. And we can talk about the Reimer twins a little bit later, but that's how you finish your article. As, as they say, as you say, I mean, if they're not going to believe us, who are they going to believe? And so I believe you. Uh, I agree with the position that you're taking to go back and be re-engineered. It just, it's, it's a big ask, and I think it's too much to ask. I want to go back uh, historically and get the chronology moving forward, but I just really want to ask. So when you meet someone like a, a guy uh, who finds you attractive how does that work well I guess because I know that I'm attracted to women um and, and I you know I have had relationships with males in the past um obviously mostly mostly prior to finding out what I found out but when I when I talk to somebody new nowadays which I guess I rarely do um but when I do I try to be upfront and honest but up until December 2021 I never told another person considering i had this knowledge at that point for 13 years uh, i'd never spoken about this to anybody in my world nobody i'd i understood what had been done to me i understood the lie and when i found out that information i knew that i couldn't process that i knew that uh, i wasn't in a position where if someone else knew this knowledge that i could answer the questions and i could you know deal with the spotlight on me because i knew it was a big thing and i knew i couldn't process it so the last few years, I've been very honest when I've met somebody new about everything, you know, the whole story. And that morally, that is the only way to go, to be honest. That person needs to know who they're engaging with. Um, and where I've not done that in the past, um, to anyone that might be watching this that, that might have known me, I, I can only apologize for that. I was never trying to deceive anybody. Right. It was the fact that I didn't, I couldn't process that knowledge. And as far as I'm away, if you look at the birth certificate, I think they rushed the sur surgeries to get female on the birth certificate. But it that's something I battle with. I battle with a lot. And I've not spoken about this anywhere else, actually. I do battle a lot with the idea that, you know, you really should have spoken to people about this earlier for various reasons, you know, for transparency, for trust. You can only build you can only build something proper where there's full trust and openness between two people. Um, but everyone in my life now knows everything about me. Uh, and that's the only way it's going to happen going forward. Um, if you just meet a friend, let's say you meet a friend somewhere um, and they're chatting to you and you get talking. It's not the first thing I bring up. <laughs> I kind of treat it. Right. <laughs> yeah. Hi, right. I'm so fancy a beer. 
by the way, they chopped my dick off. I mean, that, it, it'd be really difficult, Rick, wouldn't it? It'd be really hard. Um, <laughs> so I like, I kind of play with it a bit now. It's my, you know, p- play with the humour a bit. It's how I get through in life. But um, well, now I, I, I want, <laughs> I want to get to how you got to this mental space because you do seem to be in a good space now. Uh, but I did want to comment on about. Um, communicating truth and hiding truth. Um, I think you may know that I come from a Christian perspective. And so I interpret things through that lens. And uh, so in the Bible, it talks about there's this idea of Jesus withholding the truth. Uh, He said that there's many things that I would like to tell you now, but you're not able to bear them. Uh, in the new te- in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they call it the messianic secret, where he kept this secret because he considered his audience, and so it wasn't about lying, it wasn't about being deceptive, it was about consideration, and so it, it's it's also the same when you have children and you're going to have the sex talk with your children. You don't do that at two, but are you hiding the truth from them? No, you're not. Uh, there is a time to communicate truth in an appropriate way. And so it's not about hiding the truth or revealing the truth primarily. It's about the motive of your heart. What is the intention of your heart? And so as I listen to you, uh, the intention of Christ's heart was, you know, I know that you can't, you can't handle, you know, as Jack Nicholson said, you can't handle the truth. And Christ was saying a similar thing. And so you knew the truth, but there were a couple of things that you had to wrestle with. One, you had to come to the place to where you can be okay with it. And so, and that's not something that you can flip a switch. It's like, oh, I'm a dude. I'm okay with that. Next. No, that takes time. But then as you wrestle with it, now you have to work through how to communicate this to other people. But I don't see that as being deceptive at all because the motive of your heart's in the right place because you're not trying to. As I ask you, are you a boy? You say, yes, I am. Uh, And so you're not trying to be deceptive, but there, there is discretion, and there, there, there are a, a way of socially uh, communicating things. And it seems like you went through those beats appropriately, and so that's just a non-issue to me. Now, I forgot. Uh, I did remember in the article because you just said it a while back about being gay, or you implied that um, you, you you like girls, but that was confusing to you. Uh, when you were younger, it's yeah. like I like I'm a girl and I like girls, so obviously I'm a, a lesbian. And so, so when I was asking you uh, if guys, uh, you know, come on to you or whatever, but I forgot it's actually girls that you like, right? Yeah. Okay. But I guess the same question: if a girl chats to me, I guess nowadays I treat it like um, it, what happens. And I see it as a crime that happened to me, like a medical crime, right? But crimes happen to everyone, sad crimes. You have victims of domestic abuse, don't you? You have victims of rape. You have victims of all sorts of nasty things. And I kind of treat this the same way. So, like, you meet someone in a bar and they're talking to you. And you get on. You get on a a social level. um, And that's cool. But they've just got to know you. They're not going to tell you about how uh, their first partner verbally abused them and beat them around, but they might do three or four meetings down the line when they feel trust in you. So I treat this the same way. Do you know, you get talking to someone, you get the vibe. If you like them, you might go for coffee, whatever. And then, you know, two or three meetings in, 
Well, nowadays, I guess that's not a problem because they need to they put me in Google and, you know, I don't even have the job anymore, right? I won't even have to have the job. Not that I need the job. But, um, yeah, nowadays I just have that conversation, you know, have that conversation a few, a few meetings in. And even if it's just a friend, because you don't want to burden them with that trauma either. You want to get to, I want them to get to know me as Sophie, not me as the crazy medical experiment, because that's just one percent of, of who I am, really. How do people normally respond to you when you when you have the big reveal? Do you know what? It goes anything from like mostly compassion, kindness, like 90% kindness. Oh my God, I can't believe this happened to you. You know, we love you who you are. Like all that matters is that you're a good person. And then you've got the, you've got a small percentage, two or three percent that's you're making it up. It's a lie. This could never happen. The systems around us could never allow this for hat to happen. Um, you're, and, and I look at you and you look like a girl. And you almost get to the point where you think, well, I dropped my trousers in the pub, but I don't. Don't worry. I would never do that. That's far too much. I would never do that. I just let them go on the merry way and think, if you want to live in your own world, well, that's fine. Sorry, I've gone too far there, Rick. <laughs> no, no, you um, haven't gone too far. Now, if you drop your trousers, you... you <laughs> well, that's a, we'll that's a ban from the landlady, Rick, I think, in the pub. Definitely. That would be a ban. And I don't want another ban. She's good to me. She's got cheap drink. <laughs> <laughs> the... Uh, your the friend people who knew you all of those years and, and then they knew you as a girl and then you told them how did that go do you know what they were shocked they were shocked they were shocked by the news but they all of them pretty much every last one said we always knew that there was something that you weren't letting us letting us into because they grew up with me while I was I focused all of my attention on career and business because in my mind oh this is going to be a whole box of worms trying to navigate a, a, this sort of emotional life with this oh I'll just bury my head into money and you know as a religious man that you're never going to find uh, your happiness in, in money because money is probably right. the root of all evil it's why I'm here today in the situation I am today um but when I, I when they found out, they basically said that it was the the drug abuse made sense. That you know, in my past, I don't abuse drugs now, but the drug abuse in my past made sense. Depression, alcoholism, it was the missing part of the jigsaw for them. So they were very easy to accept it, and they were very warm and kind. And and they they just basically put a big arm around me. Everybody, you know, oh, we're here for you, and I'm so sorry that we didn't know. But I said it's my fault. I didn't tell you. I could have told you. I just didn't know how. Yeah, you made an excellent statement. I'm actually looking at the article here is why I'm looking down um, and I can't find it. Uh, but maybe you can recall it because you're talking about uh, money, career jobs. And there was a phrase that you use that spoke to this doesn't fulfill, this doesn't satisfy. Do you remember uh, money? Uh, I, oh, I began to speculate that my surgery. I uh, know that's... Um, there's something else, but, but you came to a place that, uh, even me, especially me as a religious man, we know this, um, uh, that those things are, are empty, uh, they're hollow and they do not satisfy. And I thought it was so interesting that you came to that place because you got lost, as you said, uh, in pursuing <laughs> running from the reality, trying to, you know, find your spot in life. And then, uh, you circled back around to, you know, this is who I am. And then you started living in the truth of it. But as you were in that process, it was just a wonderful reality, a moment of clarity that you had that uh, this career, vocation, choice, money, et cetera. You just said it in a, a, a an excellent way. 
Uh, and anyway, it's in the article, but you did come to that spot, and I thought that was really wonderful. I was really impressed. But, so what I want to do, because uh, my questions are like, I'm like a wild pony on the hillside. Uh, let's go back. All right, so you're born. You're a guy. Uh, what is the uh, technical uh, abnormality, physical abnormality, uh, abnormality uh, split penis, but what is the uh, technical name for it? It's, it's called cloacal extrophy, and that's C-L-O-A-C-A-L, and then it's extrophy. And it's a sort of a severe version of bladder extrophy. So bladder extrophy is where the bladder is outside of your body, and cloacal extrophy is quite a lot more severe than that. Um, so in my case, it was bladder and bowel outside of the body, split penis. I think there was a, I think there was actually a lack of anus. They had to create like a, create an anus, I guess. And there was also um, some people have problems with the hip structures, which I, I didn't have. Um, but essentially, it was a male birth with lots of genital abnormalities and bladder and bowel abnormalities. It's one in four hundred thousand live births, um, which doesn't sound like a lot. But um, a couple of years ago, I connected with a charity in in, in America, actually, um, that specialise in looking after people with cocal extrophy. Um, and I had a few chats with them and things. And there were uh, people will come forward, I'm sure, over time. But there are many, many, many more me's. Uh, you know, I, th- th- there isn't just me. I've personally met a couple of me's, but I would speculate that there's probably 500 me's um, in existence. Uh, and that's before we start to look at the intersex movement, where, the, you know, for a long time, um, and it still goes on in many places, but where the doctors were making a decision based, you know, it, it, rather than leaving that child be, they were making a decision, which I, many people have reached out to me since going public on this to say that they found out later in life that they, they were, you know, they were they were born and the doctor had made the wrong decision. And they knew that the whole way through, you know, being intersex. So it's. There's many disorders, but mine is cloacal extrophy. Sorry, that was a very long answer, Rick. Very long-winded. <laughs> yeah, and I think the intersex uh, demographic would probably be the closest that aligns with uh, this condition that you're talking about. And so, the doctors talk to your parents, and we'll talk. We can talk about your parents later, but uh, you're okay with your parents, and we can, you know, talk through, you know, how do you you came to that place, but. At two days old, the doctors are talking to your parents, and did they convince them that this is the way to go? Pretty much. Um, I think so. I was born, and obviously, you've got a, a baby where the organs are on the outside of the body, and they we were in a day when we can't just go in our phone and look on Google um, and and see what other people are doing. Um, they were in a situation where they needed to act fast, or there was a time pressure. You know, we need to get this baby into surgery to rectify things. And the um, the surgical team, the, there was a senior consultant who's now passed away, and there's a junior consultant at the time who's now retired because we're obviously 37 years on. Uh, and the story goes, obviously, I wasn't there. <laughs> I mean, I was there, but I wasn't compass enough to hear the conversation. But the story goes that um, they pretty much said it would be incredibly difficult for this person to grow up with a, uh, a, a split penis, erectile dysfunction, um, to be able to go to the bath. If, you know, if incontinence is going to be a long term thing, then to use the men's bathrooms and all that kind of thing. They were selling it as the best solution for for this baby obviously i've uh, the more i've learned i i think that's utter rubbish that, that that it was the best thing because they never actually fixed the original problem in 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 the whole 37 years of my life um 
But yeah, the cell was, and they they felt they felt safe in these doctors' hands. Doctor had an answer whereby without the doctor, they just thought this baby was going to die. And they tried really hard for a baby. It wasn't the easiest thing, you know. It'd been a long road for them to to have me. So I think they were very keen not to not to lose me. Do you have siblings? No, only child. Um, so I was the obviously the first child being the only child, they did consider having a second child um, a few years after my birth. Uh, and they had something called genetic counselling, which I'm not entirely sure what that is. But I think that's where they talk about the chances of a second baby being born with the same problems due to the, you know, the two pieces of genetics in my mum and my dad, those unique sets of genetics. Could they be the, the reason, you know, if you put those two people together again, is it going to create a carbon copy of the same? And nobody could actually give them a green light or a red light on that. You know, the, no confirmation as to the chances of that happening. So they made the decision uh, not to. But my mum tells this story whereby at one bit they had really thought about going for another child, but she kept having nightmares in the middle of the night whereby she just had a new child. But I was really sick because there's a child in my sort of, I don't know, up until about age eight, I was in and out of hospital quite a lot with various things. And my mum had this fear whereby she was so busy looking after the newborn baby that she couldn't attend to my needs properly. And she said that she couldn't live with, with that. And that, that's what stopped her actually going forward to having a second child how many operations have you had that's a good question i wish i knew do you know so in after my birth also i'm have to rely on hearsay because my medical records i've only got from 1998 and i was born in 1986 and I'm absolutely certain that the reason I don't have my medical records is not because someone doesn't have them. It's because they don't want me to have them. Right. Uh, I don't mean my parents. I mean the medical system, right. Right. because that's something I've seen in many stories of people I've been talking to, an inability to access medical records that are, in fact, there. Um, I've forgotten your question, Rick. I'm sorry. How, how many surgeries have you, have you had? How many surgeries oh, have you had? So I reckon, I mean... I should know the answer to this, but there were four or five big ones as a child. So there was the birth surgeries, which there was, I think, a couple of very big operations. And then I know that I got taken back in because at two days old, my mum and dad had just signed for like rectification, make this baby safe. But they'd agreed they were going to go the female trajectory. Um, but obviously, when this, I, as you will have read in the Daily Wire article, the um, a few weeks after those surgeries, this balloon as mum describes a balloon falling into my nappy, which was this pseudo vagina that they didn't know they'd put in me had, had prolapsed. So then there was another surgery there to obviously, I think, put that back in and reabsorb it. And there was two or three tweaks sort of surgeries. But then as I went into my um, childhood, I, I had a lot of problems with um, they, like sort of almost like stones in the urethra because the urethra that they'd had to reformulate is very corrugated so the urine would collect in the corrugations of the urethra and it would block the passage of the urine it would start to back up to the kidneys so there was quite a few you know times where I'd have to go to hospital with urine retract infections or kidney infections and they'd have to sort that out but then if we fast forward to adult life um I've made it my mission to stay the hell away from from the hospital. And um, wow. I haven't. The last operation I had was just a cystoscopy in my early 20s to take a look at what was going on. Do you know, just to look at my body internally. They basically put a camera through your urethra. They have a look around. And this was I think this was just before I actually found out about my birth sex, um, either just before or just after. It was around about that time. So. Uh... 
the vagina, they don't sew it in. I mean, how does that work? I mean, they just insert, they just inserted it. And how does that work? How does it fall I out? How does it, it. How, how does it fall into fall out into your your diaper or your your nappy? I I I can only speculate because I obviously don't do the surgeries. I've been a, I've been a I've been a um I guess a victim of the surgeries, but I don't. When I went in at twenty two, they were looking the, the the reason for the cystoscopy, which is the exploratory, was to see whether they could do any more for the bladder because that I, even up to this day, whatever comes into me is just urinated out into an incontinence pad. So I wanted to know if there was any way that they could because it was a urological problem. Do you know, I wasn't born with a gender problem; I was born with a urological problem of which they hadn't fixed. Um, and they said there was nothing more they could do about that. But at the same time, he came back and he said, "Oh, I wanted to look to see if we could give you a." A vagina, and um, because at this point I didn't know about the prolapse vagina as a as a kid, you know, I didn't I didn't know about that. I just thought I had no vagina whatsoever. Um, so he then um, tells me that the reason they can't make this vagina is because whatever it needs to be attached to on the inside, however they do it, there's there's not enough, there's nothing to weight it to. Was and I didn't I didn't explore and I didn't pry because I found the whole thing so embarrassing. So and just so incomprehensible. I'd not had the 15 years to process everything in the way I'd processed it now. It was basically like la 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 la. Whatever you're saying, it might be good, but I don't want to. I don't want to hear it, you know. I, and that was how I was for so long. Um, I wish I knew the technicalities more. Do you know? I have friends with. Uh, I know a couple of people that I'm friends with that are trans and have been through the surgeries. Um, and and. You know the way I the way I understand it is that it's essentially um, something you you have to keep it maintained. It will close up if you don't dilate it. Um, so it's almost like an open wound, which is yeah, quite you're quite something. Well, part of the reason I'm asking because I, I I think I know there's an uncomfortableness here, or at least with me that, but people I need to un- people need to understand uh, because we're defying biology. And so we're creating something artificial. And when you defy truth and, and and come up with this pseudo mechanism, there's going to be complications to it. And it, it, people need to know that. All right. So you are now in a doctor's office. And what age were you when you're looking at the screen? And this was your your big this was the big moment for you when you realized um uh, that you're actually a boy. How old were you, and and what is that scenario? Uh, so I was age 22, uh, and at the time I was actually in university. So I went to uni a bit late. Um, so I would have, I think, I'd have been in 20, probably like second year of university, um, and I studied close to home. And I had like I can't remember what the ailment was, but you know something very minor like sore throat, tonsillitis, something that you or I or anyone could have. And it wasn't going away. So I went to the doctors, and I never liked going to the doctors. I would always avoid going to the doctors. But I thought maybe I need some antibiotics or something. And my mum always accompanied me to the doctor doctors um as moral support um I guess as moral support but maybe at the back of her mind it was maybe one day she might see something that she shouldn't I, I don't know we've had these conversations and my mum still maintains she came for moral support but at 22 it's a bit strange taking your mum to the doctors um so we both arrived we went in the clinic and I, and it was a locum over here we call it locum but that's like a temporary physician do you know when when there's so many people that are out on holiday or they're understaffed they, they get somebody from a bank in you know to to, to do the job and um 
she obviously there must have been discussions in that surgery which is Sophie doesn't know we don't tell Sophie I'm sure there were discussions in there probably even including my parents you know um but this day we went in and the, on the screen um you've got we're sat you've got the computer there and you've got just the the physician and me and my mum here all in front of the screen and we're having a chat and before the meeting because she'd never seen me before she's obviously looking through my medical records and in two lines right in the middle of the letter and and, and it was the two lines that appear in the, the daily wire article and but essentially it was lots of medical language to say the removal of testes a split penis a vaginal construction um and xy chromosome um but there's lots of other medical speak in there bifid phallus is is is, is one of them and it, it just sounds such a horrific thing bifid phallus every time i say it it just makes me laugh um but yeah i saw that and obviously at 22 you're old enough to know what which chromosome is male and which is female you're old enough to know you know what a testes is and and, 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 and what penis a penis is and a vaginal construction but do you know what seeing that was like it answered every single question i ever had in my mind because i i didn't i didn't know what was going on or what is this crazy condition i've got that no one seems to know a name of where i've got no vagina I'm urinary incontinent. Um, I've got a fifth of the, uh, the small intestine uh, and everything looks a bit different down there. You know, if anything, this was actually as traumatic as it was. It it, it, it clicked into place. You know, it's like, ah, oh, this makes sense. But obviously it didn't make sense in a, oh, this makes sense. This is great. It's like, this makes sense. But how the hell am I going to deal with this? I can't deal with this. Um, and I chose not to deal with it, Rick, didn't I? For so long, I just, I just walked away. This didn't happen. It's almost like... Uh, denial, isn't it? Yeah. So uh, in uh, school in uh, the UK, uh, did you have gym or uh, whatever you all call it? Where you were yeah. in uh, girls' showers. I mean, how did that work? I mean, you, yeah. It, well, it was it was obvious that I mean, I'm different from them, or they see you uh, unclothed. How, how does that work? So we were quite lucky in the fact that I think in the UK we're, we're, we're probably slightly smellier and sweatier than you lot because we 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 did have showers in our um you know in our school for if you'd done we call it PE physical education over here yeah we do we, we do too yeah but it was it was a hundred <laughs> years ago when I took it so I couldn't remember <laughs> but we didn't I I would always avoid like I would never have any situation where I, there's no way I was going to appear naked around anybody because I knew it was different. I knew questions would be asked. Um, so I would I would do my gym class. I would I would just literally get changed. But you'd do anything to get, you know, you'd go find a toilet cubicle to do the bit where you have to sort of, you know, take your shorts off or you'd put a towel around you. And I say I was attracted to, to women, Rick. Um, I, there was nothing going on in my head at that age thinking, oh, I'm looking at all these girls and they mean something to me. It, the, my, my thoughts in those locker rooms was I need to keep as private as I possibly can because and, and obviously I didn't know that I was male at, at that point. Um, but I knew something was very wrong and I knew that I'd be mocked by my peers at that age if someone right. were to, to, to sort of see what's there, I guess. Right. Yeah. So the language uh, is uh, so you saw on the screen. Uh, I don't think I can read this. Forty six X Y birth previous uh, ectopia. The V E S I C A E. I didn't even say it either. Phallus imperforate anus and prolapsed bowel through abdominal defect bladder reconstruction testes <clears throat> and phallus removed vagina. Re uh, vagina construction. And so that is what you saw. 
you Wonderful. hit the roof uh, when you got back in the car with your mom. And uh, what did she say to you? Well, it's difficult to remember the exact words, but we got in the, we kept it in the surgery. I didn't say anything, but she knew I'd seen it. Uh, and when we got in the car, I looked at her and she said, I think it was probably something along the lines of, listen to me, I can explain. Do you know, I think it, it wasn't, it wasn't, it, it was very soft. It was very kind. And I think she knew that this this could be a make or break moment for the for our relationship for the rest of our life, really. And I, she wanted to diffuse the situation. She wanted to show me love. She wanted to help me with the trauma. But at that moment in time, I didn't I did not want to engage. I just I, I just shouted and screamed and swore and all manner of things. You know, I I. I did what we learn not to do as we get older, which is to just transmute that. You should be taking that pain and trying to work through it and transmute goodness out the other end. But I literally took that pain and I just went onto mum, you know, just not physical. I would never hurt anyone. But oh, I just swore. And then we got back to the house. Um, I was living at their house at the time. Um, and uh, I went upstairs to my room. I slammed my door shut. She wanted to come in crying. I wouldn't let her in. Um, and dad came home from work. Uh, dad worked in Sheffield. He came home from work early. She'd, she'd called him saying the thing we never wanted to happen has, has happened. And then they all had tried to have a conversation with me. And I remember thinking, my life's never going to be the same. I don't know how I can handle this. Um, and then the very, I think the next day I took off university. And then the day after that, I just forgot everything I'd ever been told, forgot everything I'd read, put it into the Pandora's box. And I just carried on with my studies. And I never said a dicky bird to anyone, never said anything to anybody. But that trauma doesn't go away. You know, you, you work through it and it's not always positively. So I might not have said anything to anyone, but I'd have smoked all of the cigarettes. I'd have done all of the cocaine. I'd have partied hard. You know, it, that pain goes somewhere. And that pain, if it's not been talked through, it gets absorbed and it eats away at you physically, doesn't it? Yes, it does. And because, again, from a, a Christian perspective, uh, we're not built to carry uh those types of things. And so we cast those things on Christ. That was the purpose of him coming and dying to take our sin, whether it's things that we do or things that are done to us. But if we don't have a way of casting those things off, in your case, casting off what was done to you, uh, we can tend to atone for those things ourselves by punishing ourselves uh, cutting is a common uh, response, uh, of course, alcohol, drugs, and so forth. When did you come around and uh, and start having a civil conversation with your parents? Uh, was it soon or did it take you a while before you all could sit down and talk through this? I don't think we ever really did. And we, 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 we made our peace with each other. We, we, on both sides, we kind of made this, they saw that I'd buried it, I'd just buried it. And I decided I'm living under this roof. And these, you know, I, I, I still didn't at that point, the, the trust had been broken. But I also started to think, well, I, you know, I, I don't think these people ever meant to hurt me because, you know, I look back through the Christmases and, the, you know, they, they'd taken me on wonderful holidays, wonderful gifts. I'd never wanted for anything, you know, the attention, the love that I'd had finding out that information was like the one time in my life that I felt let down by these people like up until that time they'd been amazing so I think I knew instantly that this wasn't their fault and this wasn't caused by them um so eventually we made our peace in terms of me talking with them and and getting along again 
But we didn't do that really through talking about what happened to me and working through that trauma. I think I communicated to them that I never want to talk about this again. We're not talking about this again until I bring it up. Is that okay? Yeah, no problem. And then I was forced to bring it up. This is why I think, you know, I never actually used to be, I shouldn't say this, but I never used to be religious, right? I, I never really had a, you know, I couldn't grab onto anything. And now I don't know where I am religious wise, right? I, but I definitely believe there's a God. I definitely, you know, I definitely believe there's a God, a, you know, God or a creator. But we have to go through all of these tribulations uh, in order to, I would just say, be enlightened or to be free of, of, of sin. And this box that I locked up of denial, and why you're saying I, you know, I'm, I'm denying myself, but I'm also denying the truth to the, to the, to the world about who I am. My body forced me to address that because we're in the middle of the pandemic and in, in the COVID situation. All of the hospitals are on complete lockdown in, in, the, in the fact that you can go in, you can't take a visitor in, no one can come visit you while you're in there. Now, previously, any medical appointments that I'd had to attend, and I'd tried to attend as minimal as possible, I would, even after finding out, I would take my mum, I said, I'm having nothing to do with this, I will not talk about this, and my mum would speak for me, because I couldn't address, I couldn't, I just couldn't address it. However, I had to go in, and basically I, I had a problem whereby I was getting... I couldn't eat and I was throwing up and my, 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 my stomach was going up and up and up and up and up and up. And I just felt like I was going to blow up and I was sweating profusely. And then one day in the night, in the middle of the night, I woke up and my bed sheets were just covered. Uh, despite having to wear an incontinence product for the urine, my bed sheets were covered in this really brown putrid fluid. I went to the toilet and I noticed in my genital area, uh, I guess you could say where a vagina might be in a in a you know, in a in a normal female, uh, this hole had opened up, which we now know, or we now the leading theory is that this was where they'd done the initial pseudo vagina surgery, but then it'd gone back in and they just sewed it up. But that would have been a weak a weak point of skin, you know, because there's been a surgery there. So what had happened? Well, what we think happened we, is is the leading um, the leading prognosis is that this vagina, the pseudo vagina that they put in as a baby, and then they said, well, just put it in to reabsorb it. The body had Basically, it just been sat behind the scenes the whole time, obviously with no way of escaping. This it filled up with mucus and various other, I don't know, crud that goes within this mass, and it had over the years gone from being this small thing to twenty five centimeters, and because it was so full that it might burst. A few months prior, I'd been in with what I think was that leaking internally. But that's another story. But the, the body is so wonderful. It found this weakness in my in my genital area and it had punctured it. And then it's it, it was a good thing because it was it was getting rid of all of this putrid fluid that had gathered in here. And by the time I got into the hospital, I was actually feeling quite a bit better because I'm there worried that I've got brown liquid coming out of a new hole. But I'm starting to feel a lot better. And that's because it's obviously found an escape route. You're not poisoning your body anymore. But what that presented to me is I had to go into the, the, the hospital that had no records of mine because in the US, in the UK, um, it, is, it is incredibly difficult. All of the different hospital trusts and the GPs were not all wired up easily um, in terms of tech that you can access records from another trust or they have to make a request. And then a couple of days later, it comes over. It's all very, very slow. Um, but I had to confront this. I had to say to the doctor, look, this has happened. But you're going to think this is nuts. I says, but when I was born, they changed my gender due to this cloacal extra fee. I says, 
And, you know, I, I, I know I'm male. I said, and this is where potentially a vagina would be. But I've ne- as far as I'm concerned, I've never had a vagina. I said, this putrid fluid's coming out. And the guy, he was very kind, but I think he thought he just admitted a mental health patient, right? So he could clearly see that physically something's completely wrong. But my story just to him was was I don't think had enough but then a couple of days later he came to my bedside and he said like I put his hand on my shoulder I'm so sorry we've got your medical records from from your GP and the GP is general practitioner so like first line support um he said yeah god what a journey you've been on he said but what I do want to say is he said I've been a urologist for like all of my career and he was in his 50s he said what happened to you was was not normal mate do you know like he says if we part with anything you need to look into that. And hearing a modern day urologist tell me that that's a met, that 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 wasn't right, was that 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 got me a new lease of motivation because I thought, right, hang on a minute. So if this happened to me, it's probably happened to others. And it's right. that mindset of you can help others that just rocketed me through the handling the the mental side of things. You know, these these hope that if I can get my answers, I can get answers for other people and potentially you know, you say all, all of this mess, something good can come out of this mess. It hasn't just destroyed my life. It could have, it, it could actually be the making of me because I can then go cast a bigger light from the back of it and be stronger, maybe. Right. And so just as a as an aside, we'll pin this for a later date, but uh, we can have that religious conversation uh, at, at another, at another podcast. Uh, but uh there is truth. Uh, I, I would believe that the Bible communicates truth. And what they did is they surgically attached you to their truth, which is not truth at all. And of course, you have seen the devastation of that. But now you're coming back to the truth that uh, God has made us in his image. We're made a specific way. There is a process for handling the bad things that happen to us. And, and and again, this is what the Bible would teach, but we can have that conversation later. The um, Did you ever have that conversation with your parents as far as what happened? Or is it still, we love each other, but we haven't just had a sit down, talk through this? No, we worked through it. So when I ended up in the hospital, um, they drove me to the hospital and I got admitted. And then obviously I had to start talking with the doctors. But then that normalized it and it was a bit easier to talk to my parents. Because if I just talked to a set of strangers, um, then I can talk to my parents. And when I came out of hospital, I was still in quite a bad way. But that's that's when, as a family, we started to do the real repair work. We were all fine with each other, but there was just an unspoken box, you know. But that's when we all, I mean, you know, my dad's not someone that cries, but we'd had conversations. We'd not been harming each other, but the emotion, you know, we, we all sat around. We had long conversations and we all agreed off the back of, you know, sort of we started to realize now that this probably was a bit of a medical experiment. And that's the first time any of us had really acknowledged that my parents genuinely believed that they were doing the right thing. And it was the only thing that they could do to resolve my problems. But even they could see at that point that, well, you're still incontinent and it was a urological problem. So they didn't fix that. And now you're having this problem where a surgery that you didn't need has now nearly given you sepsis. So that was a light bulb moment for them that this was all wrong. So we, we we spent a lot of time and it wasn't even arguing. It was just they poured their heart out about how hard it was to maintain that secret. And their biggest worry being that they'd have passed away and I'd have found out. And at that point, 
I wouldn't been able to turn to them to get their rationale. And it'd been very easy to have demonized two people that actually had my best interests at heart. So there was a sense of relief from their part. And we worked through it. Um, not that we didn't, you know, no counseling as a family or anything. We just did it together. Um, and we all agreed at that point, after a few weeks of talking here and there, that the right thing to do is try to go public on this in order, because if we go out with our story, other people will come out of the woodwork. And one thing we can go and help and support other people like me to get through the trauma, um, anyone that's just found out, or, or you might have parents that know that haven't told their children and that might make them reflect a little bit. I just thought there's so many lessons that we could, some things we could achieve as a family. And we all just sat down one day, it was like, yeah, we're going to do it. And yeah, that's I agree. How it started. Yeah, I agree with that 100%. And I've been counseling forever. And one of the things in counseling is that, you want to let the you want to let the person that you're talking to to know that you're I'm really no different than anybody that I talk to. They struggle with fear. I struggle with fear. They struggle with shame. I struggle with shame. They struggle with anger. I struggle with anger. I mean, nobody is better than anybody else at this core heart level, and so we're all the same. But sometimes uh, people can create this hierarchy where well this person has it together and they can be inhibited from communicating what they really want to share and so what i do uh, as a counselor is to let them know that you know i'm just as fallible as you are i struggle in certain ways and i've seen this so often where that person is you could just see their countenance change just like oh you too and then they open up and so i think you're spot on as you continue to communicate there are people that are pent up bound up and it's like there's something wrong they can feel it it's like having an amputated leg uh, it itches but there's no leg there it's a phantom pain is surreal there's a lot of confusion there and i think that will open doors for you but some of those doors that will open will be the doors of adversity. And so have you experienced blowback from people because your message is antithetical to this cultural agenda, this zeitgeist that's really taking over the culture? You're going rogue in a sense. And so have you experienced uh, adverse blowback? I, I'll, I, I'll answer that as fully as I can. I want you to say I'm going rogue, and I absolutely am, to be honest, because um, without going into any detail, there was there's a documentary that was underway um, going on, and it's still we, we, we still all talk. But it was made very clear to me that how dangerous it would be to go out with my narrative, um, which I, I'm not holding an anti-trans narrative. I'm holding a... I think that I, I, I will come to that later, but I'll say I'm not holding an anti-trans narrative, but they, the, the, the advisors, the people around me that knew what they were doing, um, very much that if you go out with this, you're, 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 you're going to get gunned in. And I know your intentions are good, but yeah, the trans, the trans movement's going to jump on you. And I've been very blessed in the fact that I've been jumped on by the trans movement, but I've not been jumped on to the degree that, could have been and i think what i want to relate to on here what i want to communicate is that like i respect every single human being's choice on this planet i respect everyone's i respect everyone's ability to have a choice and i don't want to take any choices away and i also respect uh, people's opinions but that shouldn't stop me speaking about my truths from what i've experienced and i 
my biggest worry is for older people I'm just like as long as you're informed fine whatever just do what you need to do to be peaceful with yourself but I can't understand how we've come to a world where doing some primitive surgery on genitals and pumping in some chemicals can be sufficiently communicated to people to believe that that is actually changing a chromosome or it's not but you're changing a agenda and I know it's not changing a chromosome but to me it's like we've we've packaged this thing and we've sold it in but it's it, it, the reality of it is not it's not that and that's the main reason I'm here is I'm saying we, we, we I don't know there's a million arguments around it isn't there Rick we can talk about it in, in more detail if you want but you choose which way you want to probe on it well, uh, I agree with your perspective, and uh, I just did an interview earlier this morning uh, with a gentleman, and we were talking about Christians have a perspective on life, but we don't mandate that. Uh, and so the illustration that I used with him, there's a uh, scenario in the Gospels where Jesus was talking to a rich man, and Jesus said, this is what you need to do go sell everything that you have and follow me. And the man went away because he did not want to give up his possessions. But Jesus did not run him down and say, no, you will follow me. Left that's, free will. Yeah, that's the Christian's department. And so I have an opinion on how things should be according to my epistemological perspective, my source of truth. But I don't, I don't sweat it, you know, if, if, and we, we tell our children the same thing. It's like, you know, this is what I believe. This is what we would prefer. This is what we teach, but you ultimately have to rise and stand to your own master. You have to make your own decisions. And as I tell our children, I will always love you. And there's nothing that you can do that will negate that love that I have for you. I might not agree with your positions, but again, I am not going to mandate. I don't do it in counseling. I don't do it in the general public. Uh, I, we don't do it to our children, but we have the freedom to share our perspective. And so you have the freedom to share your perspective. But as you say, there is, um, as I the word I use with zeitgeist, uh, the spirit of this age is very strong that's trying to censor people from having a perspective that's different from theirs. Now, you're on the front end of this, and so you've recently have, have come out over the past you know couple of years or so. I can just see this thing you know, really exploding for you in a positive way, but with that a greater awareness. Uh, around the country, around the world, uh, I, I can see the adversity coming. And I trust that you have people that you can speak with to help you to maintain reasonable sanity. I think about J.K. Rowling, who, you know, just making a, a statement that she believes in, but she's not being unkind about it. But obviously, the the blowback is fierce because there's no tolerance for any kind of alternate opinion. And so as your message continues to leak out and 
people pick it up. And, you know, as I did from the Daily Wire, it's like, I want to talk to you. And more, it's, there's going to be more of that coming on. Now, you would, I mean, you also have to get in a good mental space to where you can receive this notoriety and, and there's an element of fame to it. Uh, so there's a lot that you have to wrestle through. And I, I, I trust you have your team, your your entourage that will, you know, help oh, you to work. Oh, you'll be shocked. Why? Shocked about what? You look, it's literally the, the amount of people that have said, oh, there must be a team behind all of this. And like, no, it's just it, it's Sophie Otway in the back bedroom just trying to forge a path to how to how to use the right media outlets to get the right outcome to see you, how we can educate the world. It's, 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 there's, I had a little bit of support from a documentary team for, for a while, but then our narratives became so separate that it's become very difficult to, to find alignment. Um, so, and I've obviously partnered up with a few media outlets to do various things and I've got to know those journalists, but like, there's, there's no mental health department behind me. There's no team of media experts. There's no, it's literally just, me and a computer and um you know I one thing I'm good at now is like I, I'll talk to anyone do you know if I'm having a problem I'll just talk uh, and I'm quite strong um okay. I keep the message of love I think yeah all right so Sophie you need a team uh but you'll work that <laughs> you'll work that out um uh, if 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 you ever you know you're welcome to email me anytime if, if I can help I'm not I'm not saying that I can and I'm not I'm not being so arrogant to say that I can, but uh, I, 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 I have a, I have a growing affection. I have a growing affection for you and and your story, and so if if I can serve you, I would love to do that. Thank you. And so you and your parents are in a good spot, then, eh? Yeah, right. we're in a good spot. We're strong. No, we're go strong. Ahead. Um, and we're all in line. I, you know, within the family, we all agree on the same, I say narrative, it's not a narrative, it's truth, but our our three independent truths all align, do you know, and we all we all want the same thing. And we wanna we wanna drive change for others. We wanna drive awareness of what these surgeries are. We wanna drive awareness of the fact that they were you know, we look at this, if you caught a zeitgeist earlier, but this, you know, um, epidemic of gender dysphoria that's going on now and a, and a big drive to conduct these surgeries and to lure people down the pathways of hormones and surgeries. Um your followers might think I'm insane, but I firmly believe that as with anything, you're a guy that works in tech and in a lot of ways, aren't you? You've got a podcast, you've got a video cast. You, you need to prototype something. You need to test something before you roll something, something out. You know, you're not, you're not, they needed to, in my mind, they could never have done trans transgender test surgeries on newborn babies no mum would ever, for any money, even if you say $5 million, no mum is going to agree to that. Um, so they're onto a loser there. However, if you want to recruit into your um, transgender experiment, then oh, a poorly baby with a rare condition, with organs everywhere. Um, and I believe that's what's ha what has happened. And I'm sure over the last 20, 37 years, whatever, those surgeries have improved. But we're still... We are still making physical changes that are. I, I can't. I can't get my head around how people think that changing something physical will affect the mental. But then maybe it does in some ways because I know if you lose weight, you feel better about yourself. If you get some new clothes, you feel better about yourself. But I guess 
it's not it's not up to me to question anybody's choices. I will love anybody as long as they're a good person. You know, if they're going killing people, I don't love them. But as long as they're a person of love, I will love them. All I want is for for for, for my journey to in, inform the choices that people make because I believe that the public information that people are consuming is it is is an oversell and it's not reality. And as we see from the detransitioners that you've been speaking to, I'm sure along the way, um they've figured out quite quickly that they've been sold a Porsche and they've been delivered a used car from 20 years ago, you know? Yeah, they're similar to you uh, as you went down uh, the career path, money path, uh, drug path, whatever. Uh, it, it Again, it comes back anytime that we deviate from truth, it's not going to satisfy. And so you've had that experience. Uh, you don't, I don't think you know much about my story, but I've had that experience as well. Uh, my father was an abusive drunk. I had two brothers who were murdered. Um, I, I was in jail when I was 15 years old. I tell people I was in the pharmaceutical business when I was a teenager, which is a nice way of saying I smoked a lot of weed. Uh, but I was looking because of the abuse, uh, a lot of it had to do with the abuse that I had from my father that I was just looking for wholeness. I was looking for help, looking for hope. And um, and so I went down all these deviant paths thinking that, you know, marijuana is going to satisfy, acid is going to satisfy, ripping people off as I was a thief uh, was going to satisfy. Uh, and, and of course, ending up in jail. And so you had a moment of clarity. You, you had two moments of clarity uh, looking at that uh, screen in the doctor's office at 22. And then your the doctor coming to your bedside and saying, hey, this is messed up. And you have a, a moment of clarity. For me, when I was in jail at 15, I realized that, you know, I'm an idiot this is not the path that I want to go down. And so God began directing my path. <clears throat> I became a Christian when I was 25. And then at that juncture, my past all made sense. It's like, oh, okay, well, I'm the poster boy for dysfunction. And <clears throat> now I'm, I'm 64 years old. And so I can look in the rearview mirror and it's very, it's very, very clear to me. I'm sorry. My, uh, I think something just happened to my screen. They, I did my, the timing uh, was spot on though. look in the rearview mirror and then the fireworks came behind you, Rick. Yeah. I just did a Mac update and I don't like it. So I have to, I told Lucia, my wife yesterday, I have to be careful with my hands because if I hold my thumb up like this, then a, uh, usually a, 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 a thumb. There it is. Uh, that happens. And I don't, I don't like those gimmicks. And then I was talking to one of our web developers yesterday and he said, well, if you go like this, uh, stuff's going to happen behind your head. I did not mean to do that. And I can't remember how I did it just now, but anyway, I digress. <laughs> the, um, but I, now as I look in the rear view mirror, I see, um, that the point of it all, God was leading me that I would spend my entire adult life helping people who are struggling with issues. And so I don't see my past, you know, as some penalty or, you know, some undue hardship. It's, it's all part of a redemptive plan.
Now for you, uh, you've had those moments of clarity, as I mentioned, when you're looking at the screen, it's like, boom, okay, now things are starting to make sense. It crystallizes in your mind. Of course, now you've got to deal with it. Uh, everything has just changed for you. And so you process through that. Now, the second moment of clarity, this gentleman, this doctor is standing at your bedside and he said, wow, this is messed up. Uh, I read your records and you're not insane. Um, somebody did something very bad to you. That sent you on a path. Now, as I was reading your article, you you connected with a friend, right? And and or you talked to somebody and eventually it led to John Money, which it seems to be where all stories all stories seem to go to Johns Hopkins awesome. and John Money and the Rhymer twins. And so uh you can fill in the gaps there. I'm I'm skipping the rock across the pond, but you can no, tell you're the doing story. a great job. A really great job. So um, I, in my business at the time, you did con you do contracts and you it was all fully remote, you know, in the pandemic. And um, I confided in a, a, a work colleague about what had happened. I'd had been in the hospital because I've been off. I've been off work for maybe, you know, a couple of weeks because I've been so poorly. And then obviously you appear back and everyone wants to know what's wrong. So I came clean with my work colleague. I, colleague, I said, you know, well, I've been carrying this trauma for years. I'm going to tell you this happened to me. And she, she, uh, well, in my line of work, uh, my old line of work, um, I used to work with user researchers. So what they used to do is they'd, they'd go and form question sets to understand user needs from people um, for building new software products. So, but her background was in psychology um, and she'd even lectured psychology for the Open University. And she said, do you know what she says? Your story, she says, there's a massive case study in, in, the, in the psychology degrees about David Reimer. Do you know who he is? I was like, I've never heard of David Reimer. Like, she's like, sends me a million links. I work through the links and then she obviously you, you get onto the John Money train. And then it's, it gets me looking through loads of papers from Johns Hopkins, looking around the other people that are, you know, involved at the time, such as Milton Diamond, who was another researcher at the time, was he, he was openly, clearly going up against um, Dr. Money, showing that he, he'd proven in rats um, that nature prevailed over nurture, but Dr. Money just kept batting him away. Um, and I've, I've had conversations with various people in these spaces. Obviously, I've never, we can't speak to John Money is dead, but um, I've, I've, I've spoken to a member of the extended Rhymer family um, over this period of time. Uh, a lady I was working with on the documentary at the time, she's spoken to other physicians you know that were going up against um john money to try and understand his mindset so i i feel like i've built a picture in my mind of quite what that landscape looked like and you, you're absolutely right in all 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 roads lead back to john money however i don't know if you he's probably not the outward to talk about it but i i i see the media as you've got the main you've got the main story here and then you people that don't believe the main story they go do their own research and they're going to arrive at another story and i believe that both sides are probably controlled by a similar force so you're going to the controlled opposition is going to give you 95 percent of the truth but you're not going to get the nugget that's going to be the thing you can work on now we look at the media at the moment that there's a great story that we can pin the tail on John Money for everything that's gone wrong. And this is great, right? Because he's dead now and that's fine and he's not alive and he was a rogue doctor, case closed. And that's really handy for Johns Hopkins, that is, because you're not telling me that a man that spent over 50 years of his career in that institution, governed by that institution, funded by that institution, regulated by that institution, he, no one, no one, even in the, you know, like I, I had to push hard 
to get Johns Hopkins into that Daily Wire piece, I had to push really hard. No one, no one wants people to go there. And no one wants people to go there because if people look in there deep enough, I am absolutely certain you're going to find some real truths in that institution. And that probably puts me in danger pushing that narrative, but I'm going right. to push it. Right, and that's what I was, well, that's what I was saying earlier. Uh, you, you, you and your team, which apparently it's you, yourself, and me, myself, and I. The, uh, and my you say your multiple personalities. Did you say that you had to push to get on the Daily Wire or did they, was that hard to get on their platform? So Daily Wire were great. They've been fantastic. Uh, okay, I do. I've okay, not got okay. anything, but they've been amazing. Um, we just, I, to be fair, they were very, very good actually. But um, the only thing that was going to be removed from my piece was um, speaking about Johns Hopkins. And I had to push to get Johns Hopkins in. But credit to them, they pushed it for me and we got it in. But I, uh, yeah, there was probably nothing, nothing dodgy around that. But I got on my high horse and I, I spoke to them and I was like, it's so important we get Hopkins in because if we don't get Hopkins in, everyone just believes the book stops at John Money and that's going to stop. We, we, we need, okay. if we are looking at trying to find the truth, we need to go into the institution. But no, I don't want to, I don't want to sham Daily Wire. They were, they, were, they, were, they were really good. And the guy I worked with on the piece was men. It was great. Do you have a job? Um, there's a good question, actually. So I had a business up until May of this year. Uh, that business was um, sort of creating, uh, you know, gov.uk over here. It's like the UK government website. They contract that out to big consultancies. And then those big consultancies have permanent staff, but they also subcontract that out to small businesses. I was one of those small businesses that would, they call it user experience design, but you basically designed prototypes for online transactions. And I've been doing that for the best part of 10 years. Um, but I firmly believe that our government has gotten so rotten now, so against the public, um, that, and I've seen many things that I'm not going to talk about on here because I think I'm whistleblowing enough. Um, let's just say I've seen enough to make me believe that I can never, ever, ever have anything to do with the UK government again. And if we talk about, uh, you, you talk about like... Um, sinning but when you you know but also enlightenment and you do you you can't make you can't make a change if you don't realize that you're doing something bad but the second you realize that you are doing something bad it's your responsibility to remove yourself from the situation and i've come to the conclusion that the last 10 years not all of what i did but a lot of those projects i were working on you only have you only get given the small little bit of the massive piece right so you don't realize it's nefarious until you see the bigger picture later on and after the after the pandemic and after I've seen what's happening in UK government um, in May, I took the decision that I'm not I, I, I can't I can't work with them again. So my business is just completely on pause and I'm living off the money that I earned during that period of of time, really, which one day will run out. But um, I'm not worried about money because I, 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 I believe, well, one, you don't need money, really. You know, you just need love and you need shelter. Um, and, and two, I'm a firm believer that you shouldn't have a scarcity mentality. If you do the right thing and follow your heart and do what's morally right, then God will give you what you need to survive. So I'm trying to live in a mentality of abundance these days. Um, if you look at my bank account, I'm definitely not in abundance, but I'm quite happy and positive about it. Is, is, there, is there a book forthcoming? Yeah, good question. Really good question. I've been approached by several people about a book, um, different people wanting to work with me to either ghostwrite or publish. Um, I'm up for it. I'm up for it. Um, I'm not sure that I've found the right way of doing it yet, but it's um, I, 
And never say never. I think it's coming, but it's not actually, you know, it's not in process, but I think it'll happen. I think it'll happen. Yeah, and uh, the Daily Wire does publish certain books, and so you you already have your foot in the door as far as a publish, publisher is concerned. Uh, but there would be others as well that I'm sure would want to pick you up. Uh, when you get that draft ready, uh, I would love to review it for you, and so you can send it to me. And uh, I would love to have my name. You'll on the get back. a copy. I'd like to have my name on the back cover uh, of re reviewing it because I, I I believe in what you're doing, and uh, just really imp really really impressed. Uh, if we can serve you, I, I I don't know you know what that would look like, but if we can serve you in any way, or if you want to pop a question to me sometime or, um, you know, just feel free to do that. I will follow your career, uh, obviously. And, uh, you know, maybe we can do this again uh, at another time. You, you are just a complete delight, joy, love, love that accent. Uh, I picked up a few words, nappy and uh, a yep. couple other words. I might uh, put them into my into my vocabulary. And uh, by the way, if you're ever on holiday uh, in the states, uh, you're welcome to stay with our family. Uh, we'll give you, you free board and uh, lodging. And uh, likewise, we love, if you are over here, we love for people people stay with us. And you know, we have uh, we we love to give travelers rest. And so if you're ever on holiday and you're in South Carolina, if you need a night or two, uh, you, you got free Airbnb here. And so you're welcome That's to have so that. Fine. And, and I, I mean that seriously. We have some people coming in November. Uh, we, we love hosting people and you're welcome to, uh, you're welcome Thank to stay you. here if you're ever here on holiday. I think after what I've said about Johns Hopkins University, they won't be giving me a travel visa into the United States anytime soon, but it's a very kind offer. Um, yeah, I'm genuinely hearing about people not getting Esters over, over the political views that they're holding at the minute. But um, yeah, that's another story yeah. in itself. Yeah, it's a sad situation. Sophie, thank you so much. And uh, God bless. It certainly has been a pleasure. And um, thank you for being on Life Over Coffee. Mm, thanks for having me. You take care, Rick, and thank you for watching. Thanks for joining us. Learn more and get access to other resources at lifeovercoffee.com.